Thank you, praise team. What an awesome thought that is in that song. Our God is holy, 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 friends. What an incredible truth that is for us to cling to and think about and hope that you will just be in awe and wonder of the fact that the one who is the holy one invites us into his presence, that we might know him in a personal way, that we might worship him and serve him. Well, friends, this morning we're continuing. This is part two of our series that we're taking a break from the Gospel of John and looking at what is biblical community. And I hope you were here with us last week. If not, what we talked about last week is available online on our website, on Facebook, and on iTunes. And we'd love for you to hear that because that's really foundational to a lot of what we're talking about. So we begin this morning. I just want to read for you two verses. And I just want you to listen for a minute. We're not even going to put it on the screen. I just want you to listen. And when you hear these verses, think of what normally comes to mind when you hear them. How have you heard these verses taught? And how have you typically applied them to your life? So just listen for a moment. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, when you've heard these verses before, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase here that he's appealing to us to be a living sacrifice for spiritual worship? How do you typically apply that? Does your mind go to the disciplines of prayer and Bible study personally? Does your mind go to singing to the Lord on your own or to corporate gatherings of singing to the Lord? How about when you hear the exhortation to us right here to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed? What do you typically think of with that? Do we typically think of overcoming sins like pride or anger or lust or jealousy or things like that? And when we hear in this verse that we may discern God's will, what do we typically think of? Do we typically think of, well, I want God to show me who I'm supposed to marry and what city I'm supposed to live in and what job I'm supposed to take? At least over the years when I've heard these verses taught, even when I've studied them, when I've encouraged people in discipleship settings to memorize them, that's a lot of the time where I focus people on those. Friends, those are not wrong things. Those are things that are very biblical and very God-honoring. But I want to suggest this morning that's not what these verses are at all about. We have a danger of taking verses out of context sometimes. And if you were with us on Wednesday nights, back at the beginning of the year when we looked at how to understand the Bible, we talked about week after week how the role of context, looking at what the text says before and after. And so we need to do that with this particular text here. Because when we look at these things, we realize that it's not an isolated verse. And if we pull it out of context, we miss what Paul's trying to tell us in these things. In fact, what I just read to you begins with the word, therefore. Everything that's said in these verses we look at so much for our own personal life application is built on something much bigger, therefore, and it follows with the word for two different times or something that's going to flow out of what's said here. And so Paul's going to plainly tell us what he means when he wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. He's going to tell us very clearly what's being expected when he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He's going to show to us what it means to discern God's will. And friends, it has everything to do with living together in community. Last week we saw from 1 Peter chapter 2 that God created us to glorify Him as we live together as a people in community. That God's creation, His plan of us, was not to make us individual people, individual followers, but to make a people for Himself. Again, that was from 1 Peter 2 last week. And it's so important because that's the foundation of it. And then last week we also looked at the verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. And if you put that back up on the screen for us, this is not our main text for this morning, but this is kind of the verse that is my prayer for what's going to happen in my heart and your heart and us as this gateway as we think about it. And it's 1 Thessalonians 2 8. Paul tells the people at Thessalonica, so being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. And like I mentioned last week, friends, that is my prayer for us, is that we be a church that gets the gospel, but also gets community. 
It's a both and. It's not an either or. And some of us do one or the other better than the other, but God's calling to us is to do both well. Now, this is our foundation from last week. This week, we want to look at what does it look like if we really live our whole lives as a living sacrifice to God? What does it really look like if we're being transformed instead of being conformed to this world? What does it really look like if we discern God's will for our lives? And friends, it's going to look an awful lot like living together as a people in community who serve one another. Why don't you see this from the Word of God? So turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. That's where I was reading as we began this morning. Romans chapter 12. Paul's letter to the, to, to, to the people here. In chapter 1 through 11, everything that precedes what we're looking at today, you see the great riches of who God is. You see so much about God's righteousness and us being given Christ's righteousness. We see a lot about how God views sin and His wrath towards sin. We see a lot about what faith looks like and what the gospel looks like. And with that as the foundation, we come to what I'm reading this morning, and that's Romans 12. And he begins with, therefore. Realize that everything we're talking about this morning is built upon the gospel itself. It's built upon who God is, what He has done for us. And we're getting here in Romans 12 to the practical outworkings of God's grace. If we really believe, if we really have received Christ's righteousness, what difference does that make in your life and in mine? Because everything we've been looking at in John week after week, that true belief is not just intellectual. But true belief changes us. True belief gives us a radical transformation from above. And if we really believe everything in Romans 1 through 11 about who God is and his bigness and his sovereignty and him imparting life to us and giving us life and making us, giving us new life in Christ, that should have practical outworkings that changes us because of what he has done. So as we read Romans 12 this morning, I want you to be listening for if we really believe the gospel, if we really have embraced all of what the gospel is, how should that change my life and how should that change your life? What transformation should there be, especially in light of community, in light of what we see here? So I could ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your revealed word to us. Father, I'm thankful that you've not hidden your will for us. God, you've shown us who you are who we are, what it means to know you. And I'm thankful that you didn't just leave us there. You showed us how you want us to live. God, I pray this day that your word would come alive to us. You would stretch us and you would grow us, God, in ways that would be good for us, good for the body, and good for the kingdom. And I pray we find joy in the process. So would you have your way in our midst now? Would you take your word and use it to transform us? We ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. One main idea I want us to see from the text this morning is simply this. God's will is for us to live together in community using what he has given us to serve each other. I believe that's what Romans 12 is all about. If you take Romans 12, instead of pulling it out in isolation, but put one and two with everything else we'll see, I believe it's telling us that God's will is for us to live together in community using what he has given to us to serve one another. Bottom line, that means community is not a program. Community is not something the church can give you. It's not something you sign up for. Community is an understanding of who God is, who we are, and how we live and treat one another as a result of that. It's intentional choices we are making. And I want you to see that from our text this morning. Let's start with God's will because this is ultimately what it is. Community is not primarily based in our need. It's based in what God has made us to be and what his will for us is. So go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, he begins with, therefore, thinking of all that God has done for you, thinking of the grace that's been given to you, the mercy that God has poured out in your life, the fact that he's redeemed you, that you're no longer bound to your sin, that he's made you, given you new life in Christ. In light of all of that, how should you respond? What Paul gives here is not a suggestion for us, friends. He doesn't say, thinking about all Jesus has done, here's something I want you to possibly consider, maybe doing if it feels comfortable for you. He doesn't do that. He says, therefore, I appeal to you. He's using a very strong word here. In light of what Christ has done in your life, I am appealing to you. I'm not suggesting, I'm not giving you a possibility, I'm not saying, hey, if you're just an extrovert, this is for you. He's saying, I appeal to you. If you're one who has embraced Romans 1 through 11, if Romans 1 through 11 has happened in your life, I now appeal to you. I plead with you. This is a serious matter. This is not optional. This is what you need to do in response to the gospel. And what is it he asks us to do? He says, I want you to present your, your body, present yourself to God. The word present here means a once-for-all commitment. A once-for-all commitment. Friends, yesterday I got to go to Birmingham to one of my cousin's weddings. And in the wedding there, it was a once-for-all commitment, but it had life-changing consequences, doesn't it? My cousin stood there at the altar, and she pledged her love for a lifetime to the man standing beside her. She was making a once-for-all commitment that would change the whole course of her life. And that's the word that she used here. He's saying, in light of all that God has done for you, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to decide to do something that will change your life because of it. And what is it? It's to present yourself, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word body here, we hear that and we think of physical flesh. This word body here is incorporating the, our whole self, body, soul, spirit, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your actions, your body, all of you, everything about you. He's saying, I want you in light of all that Christ has done for you to make a commitment to give yourself, all of yourself, what? As a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. For sacrifice in the Old Testament was an image for worship here. He, Paul's telling you, listen, in light of all that Christ has done for you, I'm appealing to you. I'm pleading with you. I am urging you. This is necessary. You make a decision. You make a point to offer your entire life, body, soul, spirit, thoughts, actions, words, everything about you to God and worship. So I want you to give everything about your life back to the Lord. It's coming to Christ, laying everything on the altar, trusting him not just as a savior so we don't go to hell, but it's falling in love with Jesus because we love him and we want to make him our Lord and we want to serve him with all parts of our life. And if we do that, what changes? That's verse number two for us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what changes if we do this, if we offer our whole selves back to God in worship? He says, do not be conformed. Because that's a default position apart from God's grace. We're all going to be conformed. We're just going to follow what the world does apart from God's grace reaching in 
and change this. The phrase, do not be conformed, literally means don't fashion yourself like the world. Don't blend in. Don't just do what the rest of the world is doing. Don't take the path of least resistance and just live like everyone lives. You're to be different. God has made you different. He's called you to be different. Now live it out. And what does that look like? He says, be transformed. The word for transformed here is the same word from which we get the word transfigure. It's the same word in the English that we get the word metamorphosis from. Be metamorphosized. Be changed from the inside. Think of the caterpillar weaving the cocoon and out comes the butterfly. That's the image for us. Don't just live like the world. From the inside out, be so radically changed by the Lord. Be so transformed that your life is different on that. And we'll see what that looks like in just a minute. But think about how the world lives, friends. The world is all about living for number one, looking out for number one, living for yourself. The world is all about being selfish, self-centered. The world demands its own rights. The world demands its privacy. The world demands its space. The world demands to use its time, its home, it's every, all of its possessions is the way it wants to use it for itself. And we're told, don't to be conformed to that. Don't just go the path of least resistance and follow the world. Be transformed, be metamorphosized from the inside out. Be radically changed by the Lord. And how does that happen? It happens as the Word of God renews our mind. This is God's will for us. As the Word of God transforms us, He changes us. He begins to show us what His will for our life is. And let's not miss it, the end of verse 2. God's will for us is good and acceptable and perfect. Because we need to keep those descriptions in mind. Because some of what Paul's going to tell us to do here in the verses that follow stretch us. It stretches out of our comfort zone, stretches beyond perhaps what our personality is even comfortable with. When we look at that, again, we don't dismiss that as, oh, that's not for my personality type, or that's not for me with my background. What God reveals to us is good, it's acceptable, and friends, it's perfect in that. And what is that will? That's for us to live together in community using what God has given us to serve each other. But before we can get to that, there's a warning for us that Paul gives, and that's in verse 3 here. We cannot embrace God's will for our life. We cannot live the way God wants us to live if there's not humility in our hearts. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more how than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Friends, if there's pride in our hearts, we are not going to think correctly about God. We're not going to think correctly about ourselves. We're not going to think correctly about community. And we're not going to be able to do what he calls us to do with this kind of very radical change of life, this transformation that he's calling us to do. But, friends, by God's grace, if we are grounded in the gospel, Romans 1 through 11, if we have God's word transforming us, metamorphosizing us, changing us from the inside, and if we will approach God and approach these things with humility in our heart, thinking the way God wants us to think on these, God will do some things in our life so that we are able by his grace to live together in community using what he's given to us to serve one another. Why don't you see what that looks like? Look at verses 4 and 5. We think about what it looks like to live together in community. Starting in Romans 12, verse 4. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Remember from last week, God called us to be his people. Remember all the descriptions from last week of 1 Peter chapter 2. We are a people. We are a nation. We are a priesthood. These are all plural images for us of what we're supposed to be like in all these things. And the best human analogy to describe all these things of who God has made us to be is that of a body. We're to be so closely interconnected in the way we live our lives that the best analogy for that is a body. And friends, just like an arm is no good without a heart, or a heart is no good without lungs, or your lungs are no good without a mind... We're to be so intertwined in our lives as the body of Christ to where we need one another. Friends, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves to be who God wants us to be. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves to live the type of life that God has called us to live. And our culture 
feeds off the idea of self-sufficiency. Our culture celebrates self-sufficiency. Our culture pushes self-sufficiency. Friends, our culture is all built on the idea of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And friends, that is not scripture. That's our culture. And if we're not careful, that culture comes into the church as well. I was sitting with a group of pastors some years ago, and we were talking about different things happening in the life of different churches. And one of the other pastors in the room opened up about how lonely he felt in pastoral leadership and how isolated he felt in that, that he didn't really feel like he had community and people to share life with. And friends, the oldest pastor, one of the oldest pastors in the room looks at him and rebukes him for that and says, listen, you've got to learn to where you need you and Jesus and nothing else. And he got rebuked for that. Friends, that's not godly counsel. That's worldly counsel. And it comes from godly men in the church. God has made us not to be self-sufficient. We are not made to just be me and Jesus. We are made to be a body that is in desperate need of one another to function the way that God has designed us to function. And if we can understand ourselves as a body, we'll begin to share the same, share the same concern for one another that we share for our own body. If I get a cut on my arm while I'm not working in the yard, I'm not like, yeah, I'm right-handed. I don't really need my left arm. We'll just let that one rot off. I don't really need it. We would never do that because we're all intertwined. But yet, how much in the body of Christ do we act that way where we think, oh, we really don't need that person or they don't really need me and we listen to all these lies that come out of the culture and ultimately come from the enemy and we don't see ourselves as a body in desperate need of being all healthy together as the body of Christ. And yet, friends, we're called to do that. We're called to be the body. We're called to live together in community. And what does that look like? Paul spells it out for us. We use what God has given us to serve each other. Look at verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Friends, what do we get from this? Why are you at Gateway? It's not because you chose to come. God in his sovereign plan has put you here. God has put you here for such a time. It says he's united you with this body of believers, not because you feel like you fit best here. It's because God in his sovereign plan has brought you here, connected you here, and put you here. And then why do you have the gifts that you have? Why do some of you in this room have the gift of teaching and your gift of teacher to teach the Bible, whether in small life groups or in Sunday school, or teach the Bible one-on-one in discipleship settings or speak the Bible into people's lives? Why do you do that? Because God has gifted you for that role in the body. Why are some of you gifted servants who will give up your weekend after weekend to come up here and take care of the facility and do things to do stuff with excellence, who will give up your time to come serve the body and meet the needs? Why? Because God has gifted you with that. Why are some of you incredibly generous with your finances and are able just to give, give, give to the work here and to missionaries overseas and to needs within the the members of the body here? Why? Because God has gifted you to do that. Why are some of you especially merciful who are able to go and spend hours in the hospital in places that are difficult for others to go and sit alongside people suffering and hurting and speak life and words of hope to them and go to widows and shut-ins and people who aren't able to come to encourage them? Why are some of you gifted to do that? Because God has given you that gift. Why do you have those gifts? Why are you here? Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Friends, you have the spiritual gift you have because it is God's sovereign plan for you. It's the grace that's been given to you. You didn't pick your spiritual gift. You don't choose your spiritual gift. God in his sovereign plan gave it to you for a reason. But why did he give it to you again? Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice it's plural. Again, we can read it through our kind of Western lens and we see that. Why do we have the gifts we have? Because of the grace given to me, but it doesn't say to me. Your spiritual gift isn't given to you primarily for you. It's not a grace gift to you. 
Your spiritual gift is a grace gift for the body, for the community to receive the benefit of you using your gifts in service to the Lord and in service to one another. God gave you whatever gifts you had so that you could give them back in service to the community. It's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 tells us, that He gave us these gifts for the common good. He gave them to us for the building up of the body. And so He did this for not for you and me particularly. He gave it for the body. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now with that said, friends, we need to remind ourselves no one person has all the spiritual gifts. No one person is a church by themselves. No one in this room has all the gifts that are listed in Scripture. You have one or more gifts that God has given you to fit a part of the body here to come alongside someone else with a different gift, someone else with a different gift, so together we can function as the body of Christ. Just like one person, like a body that's just an arm would be useless. When we have a head and eyes and a heart and lungs and blood vessels running through your body and arms and legs and your whole body, we can be what we're supposed to be. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. God's will is for us to live together in community using what He's given us, our spiritual gifts and everything else He's entrusted to us. We don't have time to explore it this morning, but we know from Scripture that everything we have has come from God. Why do we have the house we have, the cars we have, the clothes we have, the possessions we have, the books we have, all those things? Why? They're a gift from God. You have spiritual gifts by God's design. You have the resources you have by God's design. Why? For building up the body, for the common good in this. And how do we use these gifts to serve one another? That's what verses 9 through 13 are all about. Listen to verses 9 through 13 of how we serve one another with the gifts God has given to us, with all that he has given to us. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Friends, there's a lot in there, isn't there? In this, realize that every one of these Greek verbs here is an ongoing tense. It's an ongoing action. This is not a one-time thing. It's not like, great, I contributed one time, check, I'm done. I showed hospitality one time, check, I'm done. These aren't one-time things. These are ongoing actions. This is to let love be genuine and keep on being genuine. This is to hold fast to what is good and keep holding fast to what is good. This is to outdo one another in showing honor and keep outdoing one another in showing honor. This is to rejoice and hope and to keep rejoicing in hope. This is to be the ongoing action, the ongoing characteristic of our lives. God's will for us is to live this way day after day after day after day. On the good days and the bad days, on the easy days and the hard days, this is God's revealed will, His good, perfect, acceptable will for us this is what is our lives are supposed to look like as we're transformed by Christ. Let's look at a few of these. Now, let me say, we could do a sermon on every one of these phrases. Maybe one day we'll get to that. We don't have time this morning for that or in this series for that. We could do a whole sermon on each one of these phrases of what this looks like. But I want to highlight a few things of what it looks like to use what God has given to us as we live in community to serve one another. And just highlight a few. Starting back in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Friends, if we're going to use what God has given to us to serve one another as we live together in community, the foundation of this is, is we have genuine love for one another. What does it mean when it says that there's genuine love here? This means we're loving not just with words, though that's part of it. We're loving with our actions. This true love is not just a feeling we have. It's not just words we say. It's demonstrated in actions. And so we show genuine love. We look for ways to actually show love for other people. That goes beyond, hey, how are you? Glad you're at Gateway this morning. Shake your hand. Move on. Genuine love goes deeper than that. Genuine love goes to show in tangible ways that we love one another. First John 3.18 would be a reference you could jot down for that because in First John it reminds us about what true love looks like. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, 
but in deed and in truth. Friends, true love is manifest in tangible ways on that. We're to take the gifts God has given to us as we live together in community, and we're to use those to serve one another by showing genuine love, by showing actions coming out of us to bless one another. What else does this involve? Also back in verse 9, the next phrase, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Friends, if we use the gifts God's given us to serve one another, that means we show genuine concern over sin in our own hearts and each other's hearts. We love what is right and we abhor what is evil. Friends, if we really love each other, we will love each other so much, we will hate whatever lies the enemy is throwing into each other's lives. We will hate the deception the enemy puts in each other's life to trip each other up. If we really care about one another, if we really are living like the body, your sin affects me and my sin affects you. And so if we're really going to use the gifts God has given us to serve one another in community, that means we are willing to speak into each other's lives about sin strongholds. We're willing to speak truth in love, not in a place of superiority, but a place of humility. Back to verse 3. We're thinking of ourselves that we we, we ought to think. We go to each other in love saying, Brother, I love you. I'm concerned. Sister, I love you. I'm concerned. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. And we invite others to do that in our lives as well. We encourage each other to holiness and we help each other overcome sin. It's God's will for us. His good, acceptable, perfect will for us is to do that with one another. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is not just the, the phrase we chose to put out on the church sign along Bell Road, if you've seen it out there. What is this talking about? Is we use the gifts God has given to us to serve one another. We do that with affectionate love. The word here for affectionate, is the, it describes the type of love there is between a parent and a child or between siblings. The love between a parent and child or between siblings, friends. When I'm away from Julia and the kids for more than two or three days, I am miserable Why? Because there's an affectionate love there. There's a love for my wife. There's a love for my children. And I don't like being apart. That's what God's good, perfect, acceptable will is for us as the body of Christ. We're to feel affectionate love for one another. Yet somehow, friends, we can go a week without interacting with each other and really not care. We can go weeks at a time and not see each other. It doesn't bother us. Friends, that's not God's design. That's not how the body is supposed to function. We're to have an affectionate love that longs for time together with one another. That's God's will for us. But there's even more. Verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Friends, if we want to live in community the way God's designed, we use the gifts God has given us to serve one another. How do we do that? We honor one another. We build each other up. We try to encourage one another. We take note of God's grace in their lives. Friend, when was the last time you have gone to someone else and said, I just want to encourage you. Man, I see God's hand all over you at work in your life. I just want to encourage you. Man, I see God growing. I see how God's working through you. When do we encourage one another and honor one another, not to build the other person up for selfish reasons, but to point them to how God is working in their life. They might see God's hand and be encouraged. Friends, people were discouraged all over the place. And can we encourage them with God's grace and God's hand upon their lives? We're to honor them and build them up by pointing them to what God is doing in their life. Jump down to verse 12. What's another way that we use what God has given us to serve one another? The very end of verse 12, after it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Friends, the most important thing we can do to be the body of Christ for one another is we pray for one another. Because there's needs in the body that you nor I can meet. But God is the provider of all. He's the one who invites us. Even as Greg prayed earlier, he invites us before his throne of grace find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Are we praying constantly for one another? Remember, these are ongoing actions. Are we living in such a way that we even know what's going on in each other's lives to know how to pray for one another? Friends, if I step on a nail and my foot hurts, I know what I need to ask for. But do we know what's happening in each other's lives to even know where each other is dealing with fear, to know where each other is dealing with sin, to know where each other is hurting, so we might even pray for one another about those things. 
Verse 13, what else does it look like for us to use what God's given us to serve one another in community? Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Friends, body life is sharing of our financial resource and other tangible things God has given us to meet real needs as we are able. God's called us to do good to all, but it tells in Scripture we're to do good especially to the household of faith. And so are we a body that is sharing what we have in order to bless each other and to help meet each other's needs on those? And then one last one in verse 13, Paul tells us, and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Friends, God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for us is to live together in community using what he's given us to serve one another. And friends, that means our homes are something that God has entrusted to us, not for us, but to use to serve one another. Yet in our culture, we've bought into the mindset that our home is our castle to retreat to. But that's not in line with Scripture. Everything we own has been given by God to us to steward it. It's really not my house and my car and my stuff. It's God's. God owns everything in the world. And he's given it to us to steward it well, to shepherd it well, to use it for his purposes in this. And so this last exhortation here in Romans 12, 13 is to seek to show hospitality. That means God's good, acceptable, perfect will for us is to open up our homes to one another in the body, to share meals, to get share places to stay, to, share, to have our homes a place people come for encouragement and help. I just want you to notice the word in the, the beginning of this phrase, seek to show hospitality. Because that word seek, seek means we don't wait for someone to come ask us. It means we're to take the initiative as believers in the body of Christ. The normative pattern that God has revealed is good, acceptable, and perfect for us is to seek to get into each other's life, to seek people to come into our home, to actively look. Friends, if you know someone lonely, someone discouraged, God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is not for you just to wait on that. Seek them out, initiate that, say, come have a meal with me. I want to pray for you. I want to hear what's going on. I want to build you up and bless you. Do you know someone who's passing through, needing lodging? God's good, acceptable, perfect will is for us to say, hey, I want to show hospitality to you. Come stay with me. When we know someone who's discouraged, who's struggling, God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is to open up our home and say, hey, come into my home. I want to share a meal with you. I want to pray over you. I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. I want to give you a safe place to come just so I can listen to whatever's going on in your heart and in your mind. This is God's good will for, good will for us to seek to show hospitality. Now, it bears mentioning here, just in passing, there's a big difference between biblical hospitality and entertaining. And a lot of what our culture presents as southern hospitality, honestly, friends, is a lot more about entertaining than about biblical hospitality as we see it laid out in the Scripture. And there's much that can be said on this, but friends, biblical hospitality is all about serving the other person. It's about building up the other person in Christ. Southern hospitality entertaining is all about making ourselves look good. Biblical hospitality is, is about being real. That means it's okay if people come over into our house and there's toys on the floor. If you come visit our house and have a meal, you'll probably have a tripping hazard as you come in the front door. That's okay. That's real life force. Biblical hospitality is about sharing real life together. Entertainment is about making sure the house looks like a museum. And, oh, yes, we live perfect where our beds are made every day and there's never a toy on the floor that we have three kids. No, entertaining is all about making us look good. Biblical hospitality is all about serving the other person and living real lives together. One is others-focused and one is self-focused. And, friends, God has had to grow me in this. Because if we feel stress at the thought of someone from the church dropping by our house or inviting someone in, I can't speak for you, but I know in my own heart, when I felt that pressure, it's not because I'm caring about them. I'm caring about my heart and what I look like and my reputation, what my home looks like. And too often when I felt stress when people were coming to my house, it's not because I'm trying to bless them and show what Romans 12, 13 says. It's because I'm all worried about what they think and people pleasing. And friends, that's not what Paul is calling us to do 
right here. Again, we could do a sermon on that. We could do a whole sermon on all these other things on this. But remember, all these things that we see, to let love be genuine, to abhor what is evil, to hold fast to what is good, to love one another with brotherly affection, to outdo each other in showing honor, to not be slothful in zeal, to be fervent in spirit, to serve the Lord, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, to be constant in prayer, to contribute to the needs of the saints, and to seek to show hospitality. Friends, these are ongoing actions. They're not one-time things we do. This is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for us to model our lives doing this as we use what God has given us to serve one another. Friends, if we want a beautiful model of what that looks like, the early church was the model of that for us. And Acts chapter 2 describes for us what the early church was like. And think about what we've just seen in Romans 12 and listen to how they live together on this. In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Again, stop right there. Listen to the phrase. Day by day, this wasn't a once a week thing, attending the temple together and breaking bread where? In their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Friends, the model of the early church was living out Romans 12 here. The model of the early church was taking what God had given them and using it in community to serve one another, to build each other up for the good of the body. So put all this together with last week. God's design for us. God created us to glorify Him as we live together as a people in community. God's plan is for us to share life, not for us, but for Him, for His glory. And we better glorify, as we saw last week, we better glorify Him when we do it together. We find more joy together than when we do it alone. Now put that with Romans 12 from this morning. God's will for us and how we do this is we live together in community. We take all that he's given to us. We steward what he's given to us as well. Our home, our finances, our material possessions, our time. We take all these things he's given to us and we steward it well by using it to serve one another. So as we think about this and we think about our lives, I realize this can be a stretch for some of us. But God's will can stretch us at times. God didn't save us to give us a comfortable life so we can keep on living the way we want to live. God has clearly revealed for us what he wants his people to be like. Remember back from Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world. And Paul said, remember how the world lives. We're not to be, as God's people, we're not to be conformed to that selfish approach to life. Rather, we're to be transformed, metamorphosized from the inside out by the renewing of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the will of God. And what is God's will that is described here as good, acceptable, and perfect? as for us to live together in community using the gifts he's given us, everything he's entrusted to us, that we might serve one another. Well, friends, how do we get there? When, when that's lacking in our life, when there's a gap between who we know God's calling us to be and where we are, how do we get there? I want to remind us this phrase, be transformed, is not something that we do. It doesn't say you go transform yourself. Again, we're a self-help culture that tends to read things that way, don't we? It doesn't say you transform yourself. It says be Transform. That's passive. That means God has to do the transforming. God has to do the metamorphosizing in our heart. God has to do the change in our hearts so that we can live this way that he has called us to live. So one of my two exhortations to you this week is would you pray, God, would you show me, am I aligning my life to your revealed will here in Romans 12? And just ask God and pray, Lord, if there's areas where I'm not living out Romans 12, would you in your grace show that to me? And would you, God, transform me? I'm not calling you to work harder at this. That's going to lead us flat back on our faces where we are. 
God has to do the work. So would you ask God, God, would you do the work? Would you transform my heart? Would you put these desires in here to live as a body and community together? And friends, if you're at a place you're like, you know, honestly, I don't really want that, be honest with God about that. Friends, we don't ever have to do pretense with God and pretend and pray things we don't really mean. God knows our heart already. The Psalms are full of that. And so it may be your prayer has to be, Lord, would you make me willing to be made willing to even pray and ask for this one day? And if that's where you're at, that's okay, friends. God already knows that. Don't put on a pretense and try to impress God with words you don't mean. Be real with him. God, I read Romans 12, and I really don't want to do that. I'm an introvert, or God, that's not my personality, or I don't think I have the right stuff to do this. If you're there and like, God, I don't want that, be real with God. And say, God, I trust your word is true, and your word says this is good, acceptable, and perfect. It doesn't seem that way to me, so would you make me willing to be made willing to even want to live this way and to even see this as good? And maybe start there, but be honest with God in that. And may God give us grace as we do that to see what happens. Because if we cry out to God, even with God, would you make me willing to be made willing to align my life to your revealed will? I think God's going to move in response to that prayer. And what would God do in our life if we become a people individually, but more importantly, corporately together, who are not conformed to live like the world, but are transformed, who live like a body, who need each other, who use our gifts to build each other up, who show love in practical ways, who show concern over sin in each other's hearts, who desire to be together more than once a week on Sunday mornings, who honor each other, who pray for each other, who give to meet each other's needs, who spend time together. Friends, I think we're going to find a lot of joy in the process. I think God's going to receive a lot of glory from that. So step one this week, would you pray that? Wherever you are in that process, God, would you make me willing or God... I want this, or God, I think you've already done this in my heart. Would you help me stay dependent upon you to keep doing it? Start there. But number two this week, would you try with one person to do one thing that Romans 12 tells us? Just one. Just one thing. Would you be willing this week to look for one person in the body of Christ and show love to them in a practical way? Would you look for just one person or one family here in the church, and perhaps you've seen sin in their life, and you go to them in humility with verse 3 and say, I love you, and I'm concerned about where the enemy is, is hurting you. Can we talk about it? Can we pray about it? Maybe it's someone that you'd only see on Sunday mornings, and maybe just one person this week you're going to call and say, hey, I only see you on Sundays, and I want to share a life with you. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's go get breakfast. Let's go get lunch. Come to my house. Could it be someone that you just need to honor this week that you go up to and just say, hey, I just want you to know I've been watching, and I see God's hand all over you. I see God pursuing you, and I want to encourage you at God's grace and your life. It could be there's someone you need to go pray for. Could you just find one person this week and say, I want to pray for you. What's going on in your heart and your life that I might pray for you. Perhaps it's, you know, someone with a financial need in the body, and you want to go meet that need and bless them. Or perhaps it's going to be the last verse we saw you opening your home and just saying, hey, why don't you come have a meal with me? Why don't you come to my house? Let's just hang out. I want to get to know you better and hear your story. So would you this week pray and ask God, wherever you are in the journey, to grow us in this? And two, would you find one person or one family in the body of Christ at Gateway and just do one thing out of Romans 13, Romans 12 here, and let's see what God does in our midst. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your revealed word to us. God, I'm thankful that your will for us is always good, it's always acceptable, and it's always perfect. Lord, I know when it comes to your will for us, sometimes it's not what we're perhaps most comfortable in our human flesh doing. But God, I am grateful that your will is good, that your will is acceptable, and your will is perfect. And God, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters. That God, that you would work in our hearts. We might be a people who are not conformed to this world. God, we don't want to blend into the world. Father, we want to be transformed. And we ask this week that through your Holy Spirit, applying your word to our hearts and lives, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God, you would reveal your will to us. Your will that's so clearly spelled out in Scripture. I pray you would make very clear to us and you would show us how to follow you. Perhaps it's just one step we take, but I pray you show us what step to take. And we'll be faithful to follow you this week in these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing?